Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It seems like everybody knows about the Lindbergh baby and the kidnapping that took place in 1932. But what you may not have known is before that happened, many, many years prior, there were a couple of major kidnappings that took place right here and involved the Kansas City area. Diane Houston and I sit down this month and look at two of the bigger kidnapping cases that started right here in KC. Well, Diane, it seems like every month we get together, we talk about another, like, uh, you know, criminal on the loose from in Kansas City back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. I guess kind of being in the center of the country, though, kind of lends itself, even to this day, as, as Kansas City is like the, the interchange of the world. You know, everything kind of comes through here, east, west, north, south. There's a lot of activity that comes through Kansas City, including a lot of criminals. And even back in the 1800s, when everybody's chasing down the Lindberger baby, or Lindbergh baby, I should say. I know I said yeah. Lindberger on purpose. You must be hungry. <laughs> I just actually had a nice little apple. Thank you very much. But it seems like like the, the kidnapping thing back in those days was very, very common. And it wasn't yeah. something that, that people seemingly shied away from then either. No, absolutely not. And you're right about Kansas City kind of being this uh, cesspool of movement. We can thank the railroad a lot for that, too, because, you know, with the growth of Kansas City, especially in the 1880s, you're going to have a lot more influx of of population moving west and east and north and south um, coming through Kansas City. And like you said, I mean, I, 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 you know, it's fun to cover more noticeable things about Kansas City's history. But when I'm like looking up things and then all of a sudden I see something that catches my eye, I, I have to look into it. And this is one of those that just kind of really came out of nowhere. It started as a story I thought was Chicago based and then it ended up having like multiple ties to Kansas City. So, yeah, we got to talk about this crazy kidnapping couple. <laughs> well, well how, how do you get down the road of a kidnapping couple though? Cause I know you don't set out and say, okay, let's see what, you know, losers lived in Kansas city in 1879 and 1903 and all that kind of stuff. How do you come upon some of this stuff to find out that in October of 1903, there's a, there's a girl that's abducted from third and Gillis street. Where the hell does that come from? Well, and it's funny, like you mentioned that because that's where it started is that I was looking up just keyword searching some things. And I ran across this a lot, like a long time ago and just kind of saved it and thought, maybe I'll look into this. And it was a um, headline from 1904 that said that this guy was looking for his daughter who was 12 years old and had been missing for a year. And I'm like, wait, what? So I go back and look at it and I couldn't believe that there were no headlines at all. It's like his 12 year old daughter goes missing and he just kind of turns around and like, oh, I don't know where she is, <laughs> like moves on with his life. I mean, that's like what happened. There was, you know, I mean, kidnapping was a big deal, I guess you could say, 
but it wasn't like the high priority of the time. And so a 12 year old, I and hate to say this too, but a 12 year old at that time was a little bit more mature than a 12 year old of this time. Right. So I think that plays into it too, but that's where it started. And then when I started looking up this name and her name was Ella Cates, and like you said, she, she went missing from, she was walking home from her aunt's house at third and Gillis and they didn't have a lot of money. You know, he was a widow with a bunch of kids and, you know, and all of that, but it kind of went unnoticed until 1907 when this other kidnapping comes up. And so I had to look into it and it's just, it's a nuts story. I cannot believe, I can't believe that I've never, well, I say that people have made this connection before. But it's nuts. <laughs> but you, you also mentioned, though, you know, back in the day, like kidnapping wasn't that big a deal. I mean, these people mm-hmm. made this, you know, made this kidnapping, did this kidnapping back in 1903. And, and they basically went like, you know, unpunished for, for what they did. And they just kind of let them go about their business. And, and I think that's kind of a, you know, a, a little bit of foreshadowing until where we are right now. I mean, if somebody commits a crime, you can't let them run free. You got to punish them for that crime, because what you're saying is that that's acceptable. And if it was acceptable in 19 it's going to be acceptable moving forward, apparently. Right. Well, and it depends on the state's laws. And so every Missouri's laws were a little bit different than Illinois's laws at the time. And like, like you mentioned, the Lindberger kidnapping, (laughs) (laughs) which the Lindbergh baby, which, you know, most people know that story from 1932 and how he ends up being found murdered. um, And he was held for ransom. And this was what really changed federal kidnapping laws, especially crossing state lines, because it was, it's really common, really common for people who are kidnapping to cross a state line, even though we think of a state line as no big deal because we do it all the time, but in normal areas or whatever, where cities are, you don't have that access to a border. So if you're taking a child from an area in order to get away with it, you got to get out of town. Right. So that became kind of the federal kidnapping law. Um, and that didn't happen until 1932. And prior to that, it was, and, and I will say this too, really in general, kidnappings for ransom are more common than even kidnapping just to like call it your own kid or whatever. Like most kidnappings are by a parent, you know, somebody who doesn't have rights or whatever. And that's still this case to this day. I mean, you would get an Amber Alert on your phone. It's usually a father who, you know, takes the kid from the home and doesn't return them. So, you know, we don't, uh, we don't see a lot of kidnappings. It's pretty hard to get away with that with d- DNA, fingerprints, yeah. everything like that. You can't just like show up one day with an eight-year-old and say, I have a kid. <laughs> like, look at this. Well, but that's what kind of what Bill Birmingham did. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. this, 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 this was a guy that decided, you know what, I'm going to go on this kidnapping. I guess you could call it a spree with my first wife, Irene, at the time and, and kidnap somebody. But you, you kind of did go through life and just show up all of a sudden with a, yeah. you know, a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 9-year-old. And it didn't seem like anybody really thought twice about it. True. We had more of a nomadic society. And they mention a lot of in, in these headlines and the things I wrote about um, gypsy lifestyle. And of course there were the actual, you know, gypsies, but anybody who was nomadic at that time, if you didn't have a home or a place that you considered home and you kind of just roam the countryside, selling stuff out of the back of your, you know, prairie schooner, mm-hmm. you're going to end up, you know, uh, maybe getting in a little bit more trouble. And also with the ability to show up with a kid, cause you don't really have a home. Um, a little bit more common than today, right? Like even people that are homeless or are houseless um, usually aren't uh, hitchhiking across the country these days, right? So things were a little different. Like you said, Bill Birmingham, he's interesting. He, he starts in Wayne County, Missouri. He's born there. 
1879. And where and is I, Wayne County, Missouri? Is that like, uh, near I know here? you're going to be surprised. Southern Missouri. Oh, really? Southern Missouri, huh? Yeah, going to be <laughs> close to Springfield area <laughs> down that way. So he's born there and um, he moves to Topeka, Kansas. Who knows why? He's like 15 years old. He gets married. Yeah. Why would anyone, what? number one, move to Topeka and number two, get married at 15? I guess signs <laughs> of the times, right? I mean, really, and honestly, it wasn't even legal, but you could say you were however old, like, how do you prove how old you are at the time? Mm-hmm. So he marries a gal named Elva Jones, and he's arrested a month later for picking someone's pocket. And it was through a horse deal. Like he was doing a deal with this guy. And I think they got drunk and then he took all the money that he had just given the guy for a horse and gets caught. Like he wasn't very savvy. So in 1895, he's charged with burglary and larceny, and he's actually sentenced to two years at Lansing prison. And I like that the, you know, the newspaper kind of at this point had had developed a reputation. Everybody knew Bill Birmingham, if you will. Um, So he said, you know, they asked him, why, why do you get in trouble? And he's like, by mistake. (laughs) (laughs) What a, what a defense. (laughs) Yeah. Which is really funny because he goes to Lansing for a couple of years for being a pickpocket, but yet Uh he's kidnapping people and they look the other way. And they don't even look exactly. But you know what? I, I always remind people that um, and not to say that kidnapping is a like way bigger deal, but at these times, like if you were to steal a saddle, that's like you know stealing part of a car, mm-hmm. you know, or if you steal a horse, that is stealing someone's vehicle. It's a big deal. I mean, that was a huge deal, and it was it was worth a lot of money at the time. So he, his wife gets sick of him. I know you're surprised there. So Elva files for divorce two years later. So he's he's free, <laughs> and he travels the countryside. He ends up in Nebraska for a while. He's a nomad. Right. And this is what makes it very hard to track this guy is because not only did he, you know, I mean, Birmingham's not that common, but he started kind of using the alias Jones. I'm like, oh, great. Like <laughs> William Jones. Yeah. That could be anybody. So, but I did kind of pick him up in 1901. He's in jail in Kansas City, Kansas. I'm like, oh, great. He came back. So he's in KCK. He stole a harness from a guy in Miriam, Kansas. And with him, he goes to jail and in the Kansas City, Kansas jail follows in him in is a 14 year old gypsy wife. So now he's got some 14 year old. He probably didn't legally marry her, to be clear, because I you're not going to find a record for this. But he was 22. She's 14. And she's, you know, says that she tells fortunes and that they've been traveling the countryside. I'm like, I definitely have the right man. <laughs> like, this is him. <laughs> so anyway, he's sentenced again for two years at Lansing, but he only serves a few months. He escaped from Lansing at one point too. And it's amazing to me that like, there. I guess, kid, I, I should say, I guess that uh, prison breaks were more common than we would be today because I see them all the time. And then I see notices of like a $50 reward. And then I see no resolution. Like, I don't know what happened after that. So, but I did see he get out, he did, you know, break out for a while. So then he's like, yeah, he gets out of jail and he's like, I'm going to head back to Kansas city, this time, Missouri. It's like, yay. So he comes to Kansas city and this is where he meets a gal named Irene Alzina Taylor. And this gal, she's a doozy. (laughs) When I first started looking at this, I was like, oh, poor girl. And then by the end, I was like, no, 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 this girl's, this girl's not good. So anyway, she's born in Bates County, Missouri. So just south of Kansas City mm-hmm. in 1882. And um, she moves to Kansas City, Missouri with her family. Her father had died. Her mom remarries all of this. And her grandma's in town in Kansas City. And in 1894, Irene's grandma marries, her name's Jane, marries a guy named 
Gaylord Fish. Okay. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great name. And it it sounds really like is. A, yeah. Sounds like a heavy metal band. Hey, gay. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight performing Gaylord Fish. Yeah, Don't you see it? I could, I could totally mock up some type of logo for that. Um, so Gaylord Fish is a um, uh, the son of a banker, a very, very, very wealthy banker um, from Colorado. I don't know why he's in Kansas City, but he was. And he's quite a bit younger than uh, Irene's grandma. Mm-hmm. He's uh, 32 and grandma's 51. Oh, wow. Good for him. Way to go. <laughs> Get those, yeah. Cougars. Total cougar. So she ends up marrying this guy and he's worth a lot of money. So she moves to Colorado. That's where he's from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, continues on his business ventures and takes his granddaughter, you know, her granddaughter with her. So sure. she's 12 years old. So Irene now is in, in Colorado. And about uh, two, I think, days before their third wedding anniversary, Gaylord is found dead in his bed with a bottle of chloroform next to him. Oh, so she clearly killed him for the money. I mean, obviously, right? Right, yes, yeah. <laughs> so she inherits a, t- a ton of money. And even his uh, mother was like, absolutely, she gets part of the money. Like there was no discussion of this. But for six months, nobody does anything. Nothing. It, nothing. So she's like out just chilling, living off his money. And so in July, 1898, six months later, she gets arrested finally for murdering her husband. Um, There was a witness from Kansas city who had come to uh, come to the Colorado area. This happened South of Denver, Um, came to the Colorado area, was a witness to them fighting. So there was a lot of like, it looked like she kind of called out that he was going to be dead by morning. Right. I mean, come on. Well, anyway, for whatever the reason, you know, it took six months to arrest her. So, in the meantime, the 15-year-old granddaughter, Irene, gets married to a guy named Ray Kircher. I'm like, wait, how do, I don't even know how she got permission to get married, but she did. So well, at 15 years old, that's like 45 today. I mean, you think about it, you know, <laughs> with, with lifespans the way as short as they were, right? You have a point. But two months, so, but it's, it's kind of amazing to me that she gets married, like her grandma, her only family is literally in the slammer and mm. she's getting married. I guess maybe, you know, that Who might- Who walked have- her down the aisle? in front of a judge oh. <laughs> probably the judge she'd be seeing soon sure. so yeah so anyway she just two months after she marries this guy and he's you know a working class got minor or whatever um in september 1898 she is calling for little timmy sullivan who's some neighbor kid who's like two and a half years old right she calls this little kid over to her house and she's like have some bread butter with some sugar on it and the kid's like, okay. And so takes a bite of it and immediately spits it, you know, spits out and then drops the bread and runs out the front door mm-hmm. and ends up collapsing on the street. This kid's two and a half years old. Yeah. So what's a two and a half year old doing just the wandering around going to somebody's house for bread and butter? Well, that's like 16 years old today. That's a fair point. <laughs> Good point. I don't really know why the kid was unattended. Who knows? You know, this could be in a really bad, who knows? But he starts throwing up like violently throwing up. And so of course you're like, well, we know grandma probably had some poison. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so anyway, they take the kid inside and his throat was swelling. They thought he wasn't going to make it. Um, and he, he keeps violently throwing up and eventually they, of course they call, they, they find the bread. It's not like she like threw it away. It's like the bread is sitting there. And so they tested it and the, the sugar was corrosive. Like it was clearly poison. Right. Okay. So she's arrested. So she gets thrown in the slammer with grandma. Oh, good. So That's she, a family affair. 
family affair. You know, sometimes things, you know, apples don't fall far. Right. So in the meantime, I, I don't, I can't explain this, but both trials are just dismissed. Their cases are dismissed. They both don't go through with a full trial. So grandma gets off, <laughs> ends up running a saloon for a while in Denver, and then ends up back in Kansas city. Lucky for us. Right. Um, and in the meantime, Irene gets sent off, I believe, to Evanston, Illinois, to work for the Volunteers of America. So she's going to, you know, learn to better other people's lives. Right, and sure. in the meantime, her husband, Ray, tries to commit suicide with poison hmm. <laughs> because he missed his wife. And that's what he said. And unfortunately, a little sad side note is they do eventually divorce um, just a few months later. And, uh, it, he ends up successfully committing suicide with poisoning. Oh. So, he, he, so there's a lot of poisoning happening in this story. Well, that's how you did it back then. There was a lot more poisons readily available. It sure. Oh, yeah, you just like went down to the now. drugstore. Yeah. I mean, you just buy that stuff. Yeah. Buy the stuff. I mean, you know, there was no regulation at all. Right. So, so she's sent to Kansas city, which, you know, she originally lived here. So it shouldn't be too big of a surprise. She's sent to Kansas city to join the slum core. <laughs> oh, okay. So she's going to work with those struggling. And so she's working for volunteers of America and Salvation Army and on Missouri Avenue, West Bottoms at the Salvation Army Hall. She sees Bill. Ah, there it is. There's the man of her dreams. Falls in love with him. Of course. And and she's the straight narrow one. I want to be clear. There's no, like people don't know about this whole thing in Colorado. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. she's like this very prim and proper, well-dressed woman. And he is, you know, not he's Bill, yeah, <laughs> and he's Bill. He's driving the streetcar, um, right? He is driving the streetcar at the time. Yeah, he's got a job, and so he promises because you know he tells her about her, his past, and he says, "I'm done with this life. It's going to be great." So you know, marry me. And she's like, "Okay." So they get married December of 1901, and shortly thereafter, he purchases a wagon and convinces her to go on the road so he can go back to his nomadic lifestyle. So sure. that's once a nomad, yeah. always a nomad, right? Yeah, I got. I mean, kind of like you, people that like to travel, like to travel. Some people don't want to stay in one place for very long. Like but I got a friend that's walking this Camino in Spain. It's the third time she's doing it. She don't like to be put at all. See, that's, I mean, I get that. It's just, it, it makes things a lot more difficult to track. And you can imagine states didn't uh, communicate very well. So it was very hard to even know what he had done in other states. Because, you know, he didn't stay... He stayed in the Midwest for the most part, except for Colorado here and there. So they get married and, you know, he starts, you know, goes back to his old ways. Yeah, sure. Everybody (laughs) does. You revert back to what you know, what you like, right? Which is kind of amazing to me. I told you before that William, you know, he used the alias Jones and he started using that alias again with his new wife, Irene. Mm. And she started using the alias Jones, which was his wife's, his first wife's maiden name. I guess she didn't care. She was all about it. So the first, the first thing that happens that we don't know, of course, at the time, headline-wise, is that in October 1903, the 12-year-old is kidnapped from Third and Gillis, Ella Cates. She's kidnapped, boom, gone, right? Mm-hmm. So they're gone, and we're not sure exactly where they were, and I'll get back to Ella and what happens to her. But in August 1904, he steals a saddle again. A month later, he's charged with breaking into a schoolhouse in Nebraska City. He's sent to jail for 20 months for that. That's wow. no joke. Wow. Go yeah. break into a jail, go 20 months in jail, kidnap a kid, eh, kill somebody, eh, but break into a school. You're going away. 
It, apparently. And, you know, and it's, they had some, you know, other run-ins with him in Nebraska. So I'm sure they knew about some of those things. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, Irene's had it. So she moves to her family's living in Atchison at the time. And so she moves back there and files for divorce, citing neglect of duty. It's like, no kidding. Right. <laughs> and the newspaper even said something like, which is no surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love when like, could get away with a lot more yellow journalism back you in the could day back in the day yeah. yeah so he gets out of jail and goes straight back to irene and she reconciles with him Ugh. and she says my husband has a strange power over me mm-hmm. uh something like that so they head to chicago and they have one thing on their mind and that is getting themselves a child right just creepy why chicago i guess they'd run out of run out of places in Kansas city, maybe putting the dots together. Maybe, I don't know. So in December 7th, 1907, they end up in Chicago and they're on the lookout for a little girl to kidnap specifically a little girl. Sure. William tells the police later that it's his wife's idea. She wanted a child. That's right. I'm like, yeah, to poison. (laughs) What does she want a child for? Um, Irene said it was his idea because they could get money, more money panhandling on the streets if they have a kid with them. So good you know? to know that they're on the same page throughout all of this, right? <laughs> well, they not not for long. <laughs> so they end up seeing Lillian Wolf. She's eight years old, um, the daughter of German immigrants living um, in downtown Chicago, and they spot her building a snowman with some neighbors and siblings, and. Irene walks up to her. She hears, Irene hears one of the other people call her Lillian and answer to it. So she, now she knows her name. Right. So she says, Lillian, come here, you know? And so Lillian goes over to her and, she, and I, some things never change. Offers her candy and some shoes. Mm-hmm. You and hear Lillian about that all the time. Hand. Stay away from the white van with the candy in it. Free candy. Right. Never trust free candy. Never trust free candy or free shoes for that matter. I know. Well, and shoes would have been, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have had a lot of money. So who knows what her shoes look like. So come with me, little girl, Lillian, I've got some candy and shoes for you. So she grabs the girl's hand and they walk down to the end of the street where William Birmingham is waiting in their prairie schooner. And he says, throw her in. Let's go. (laughs) Throw her in the back. So they throw her in the back. They hide her under blankets. They tell her not to peek your head out. They get enough out of town and a prairie schooner is going to move very slowly. So they're not on the run, literally. So they end up getting to, you know, a safe spot. They cut her hair. Um, they, they took all of her clothes and burned them and gave her new clothes. And they told her to immediately start calling her, uh, calling them mama and papa. Mm -hmm. And they made her go to like, you know, a farmhouse to beg for milk. I mean, so they already started using this kid. Right. She tried to run away once. She said that she was treated pretty well. I mean, not that it matters, but she was treated pretty well, um, except for one time she was whipped because she tried to run away. So she didn't try to run away after that. And how was your kidnapping? It was fantastic. Other than the time I tried to escape and they beat me up. But other than that, it was great. (laughs) Except for the one whipping. (laughs) Yeah. But she also said that um, it was very interesting. She also said that um, that. Irene would just cover her in kisses and dote on her. And I'm like, that's kind of just really that's creepy. creepy. That's, that's weird, that's man. That's really not your creepy. kid, right? It's gross. Right. And I should have mentioned back in Colorado, one thing that really caught my eye and I got really creeped out about was this 15 year old who had just married someone, right? Yeah. 14, 15 year old who just married somebody was known around town for carrying around dolls with oh. her. 
I'm like, there's something wrong here, right? Yeah, there's some obsession. We don't know, whatever. So anyway, they police are on high alert, which is actually really surprising considering let's go back to Kansas City couple years four years earlier nobody even knew this nobody one cared case. yeah yeah so they well it's because of the kidnapping law had changed so a week later they find them in moments illinois which is not that far from chicago mm-hmm. they're you know the kids found safe and the way they did these things the media back in those days like they would interrogate witnesses or people they just arrested in front of the media like just I think right. they should do more of that, though. And I'm being honest about this. I think if we do more perp walks and more stuff like this out in front of the media and the public, maybe we would see a decrease in crime. You could be right. I mean, it, 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 I say it lends a lot of color to the story mm-hmm. because you're hearing the confessions on both sides or what they say on both sides from the media, not like the police, you know, the head chief coming out and telling you what is going on and they don't give you enough information because they have a trial they're going to have, you know, so they're protecting all of this. They did not do that back in the day. So it's 1907 the end of 1907. So they can't keep their story straight. They tell them that their names are William and Alzina Jones. And at this point, who I would call Irene was using her middle name occasionally but for, for ease, she's Irene. Mm-hmm. So she says, and she says this in front of Lillian Wolf's mom, the one who was kidnapped, the eight-year-old right. who was kidnapped. She says in front of the mom, I'm sorry, this, she, that Lillian looks exactly like my dead baby, Lillian. She looks oh, exactly God. like her. And her, my baby's name was, my, my baby's name was Lillian too. And she starts crying and the mom's like, Oh, it's so sad and so she screams my dear girl baby Lillian and in the room next door <laughs> Bill Birmingham is like my wife needed a kid yep. because we lost two babies and then he starts crying and says my dear dead Mabel oh yeah you're not on the same page no 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 it's Lillian if you're gonna fake Dude. the name you gotta be on the same page right I think you would have gone over the name and like date of birth <laughs> I don't know <laughs> So anyway, I mean, you got to be on the same page. You, you, you got to have your story straight before you roll out there and start telling people what your child's right. name is, especially in a case children, like this one where you're trying to get off on something. And in, in, in how many children you had? I mean, yeah. like they couldn't even get that right. So about midnight, the day that they arrested, finally, William caves and says, all right, our last name's not Jones. It's Birmingham. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> hey, I'm coming clean, people. She's going to leave. It's not my child. Neither is Mabel. And I'm not, uh, I'm not Jones. I'm Birmingham. Oh, you're a piece of trash. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So they thought it'd be, they, the reason they did this, according to William was because they thought they would be easier on her at trial. If she had dead children, they'd feel sorry for her. So then not only does it change that their last name isn't right, but they never had any dead children either. Um, Within time, though, in the interrogation, they reveal this wasn't their first time kidnapping a child. They're like, yeah, we took another girl, Ella Cates. Yep. <laughs> They're like, what? So what happened to Ella Cates? They're like, what do you mean, Ella Cates? And so they said, well, we, we, we kidnapped her and we took her uh, to Dubuque, Iowa, and we just left her there. <laughs> Sorry. It's not funny. No, it is though. I mean, it is. I mean, I mean it's just weird. Like It's, it's, it's so the sign of the times back in the day. Mm-hmm. So they find the, so the girl is abandoned in Dubuque, Iowa, and then a convent picks her up and starts taking care of her. And that's where she was living. And she gave a fake name to the convent. She said her last name was Patterson. 
So they didn't know who she was. Right. So finally they send word up to Dubuque. And well, then she all... probably thought she was going to get in trouble for being God. Maybe. You know probably kids were back in the day or even today, you know, sometimes you lie about things because you think you're going to be in trouble for it. That's true. I mean, at this point, she's 17. Can you imagine this? So she's been uh, four years without her family. So, but the nun wrote a letter to, they thought they might use this girl, obviously, as a witness in this trial. They did not. But they, the nun said that she, this, uh, this girl, Ella Cates from Kansas City, was inclined to be wild. So in any case, she was returned home and was, uh, was you know, brought back to her family in Kansas City, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So in the end, this is where things get really interesting. There's a trial sentencing, right? William, during the trial, they went on trial together. <clears throat> So they both were tried at the same time. William was writing letters to Irene in jail, threatening her. And they used those letters against him in court. Oh, good, good. In front of everyone, by the way. Um, And then she started saying that the reason they kidnapped the little girl was for, quote, improper purposes, like for him. And I was like, oh, now now we're getting gross. And yeah. And I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, we don't, we, I mean, we don't know what, we don't know. Right. We don't know. Right. So the penalty for kidnapping at the time, they weren't aware of this. I don't know if they would have done it otherwise, um, was death if the child was kept for ransom uh-huh. and it was up to life in prison if ransom wasn't demanded. So in the end, William gets 30 years for his kidnapping of, you know, uh, the little wolf girl, if you will. Right. And Irene gets 25 years. So little Lillian, after this, this trial is over, Lillian Wolf feels sorry still for Irene. And she said, I felt sorry for Mrs. Birmingham. I kind of wish they'd just let her go. Oh no. <laughs> Don't please. No. Well, they didn't know all of the past. I mean, so, you know, they couldn't believe everything William told them, you know, and th- they were always turning, turning against each other. Irene ends up only serving two years. How she is released is unbelievable. But back in these days, everyone didn't serve their full term. But, right. They forgot uh, how many years or whatever, what yeah, year but, even mean, was or how long a year is. Two? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. But the reason was because the, if you can believe this, it, Volunteers of America and the Salvation Army came forward in her defense and helped get her out of prison, basically. Oh, she's a good citizen. She just made a mistake type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So Irene, after her two years, she came back to Missouri. <laughs> hmm. She came back to Missouri and married a third time. And she had a daughter. So now here's the thing. I Then, of course, I questioned myself. I'm like, did she have a daughter? Or did she kidnap <laughs> another daughter? Did she yeah. kidnap somebody? I don't know. But she had a daughter named Mary. And she ended up dying in L.A. in 1955. William served 10 years of his 30-year sentence, and he was released. And I can sadly report I have no idea what happened to him. <laughs> That's too bad. I'd like to know. I'd also like to know, know how she got out of L.A. and what she was doing out there until 1955. I mean, that's a long life back then. Yeah. Well, she was out there with her daughter and her granddaughter. Her daughter ended up like kind of having her raise her granddaughter. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Um, all in the family, even that's her, what you want an ex con raising your child. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and who knows what they knew? It's not like people you could do what we do with internet research and everything. Maybe she didn't even know. Right. But in any case, yeah. In 1955, she ends up in LA. I mean, she's out there really from 1940 on, um, and her mom went out there too. I mean, it was like a whole family affair. 
they all went out to LA and stayed out there and um, all died out there. Um, William, I know, I wish I could tell you that I know, but it's like, there's two scenarios. One, I know he didn't die in prison. I know he was released. Mm-hmm. One is he, re- you know, was released and he cleaned up his act. <laughs> right. That's, that's one unlikely scenario. The other scenario is more likely is that he started using another alias and I have no idea. I mean, because once you get released from prison in Joliet, Illinois, you know, you're on the run, you can do whatever you want. I do know that after 1932, so while he was in jail, if you will, I do know that kidnapping at that point, right, becomes a federal crime when you cross state lines. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that he wasn't involved in anything else like that. Clearly, times have changed a lot since the early 1900s and even after the Lindbergh case in 1932, which made it illegal to kidnap and transport a child across state lines. We now have the Amber Alert system in place and things have come a long way. But because of two people who were living here in Kansas City, kidnapping was put on the map and became something very prominent back in the early 1900s. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 